This is Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Welcome to episode three of the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, that is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd, a May reporter. Of course, uh, coming in on the heels of UFC 252. Pete, how you feeling on this uh, Monday evening, man? Good, man. Uh, you know, great fights this past weekend. And, uh, you know, we have a ton of action coming up this week between the Contender Series, Bellator cards, UFC card. Man, MMA is really in the spotlight during quarantine, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I know, man. It's you got LFA as well. I actually uh, talked to Nick Nick Maximoff, who's going to be a part of that card. Uh, you know, for people who've watched uh, Submission Underground, he's been a part of that. He's a uh, trains out of the Nick Diaz Academy there in Stockton, so I had a great conversation with him. Uh, Venetia de Jesus, a guy that obviously we've seen in Bellator, the the CES champion. You know, and you know it's it's kind of interesting with him. I, I you know I, I remember you know last February being up at, at Mohegan and, and he won on that fight and. Bellator seemed to be kind of profiling him backstage. They you know, offer him up to the media, which I thought was kind of a, a key sign that maybe they're going to be looking at him long term. But that wasn't the case, and, and so now you, you've got him in there. So always look forward to those LFA shows. Uh, there was uh, I watched a, a card on Fight Pass last Friday, uh, FAC out of uh, Missouri. There a lot of glory uh, fighters on there: uh, Scott Cutberth and Joe Wooster. Um, you know, veteran matchmakers were, were a part of uh, running that car. So I had a chance to catch that one. Uh, you know, uh, David Onama, somebody that I interviewed, definitely someone to pay attention to coming out of there at that Midwest scene. But, you know, we're coming off UFC 252. And, uh, you know, look, we, we got to start off with, with the main event, uh, you know, of Stipe and, and Daniel Cormier. And obviously, you know, eye pokes are, are something that's become a, a little bit of a, a talking point. Uh, I thought there was damage to the eye of Cormier before the eye poke did happen. No doubt about it. It was an eye poke and Hunter had, had tweeted this to us. He says, no one that I know of talked about the eye pokes going into the fight, which I thought was shocking. DC had them in the first two fights in the third fight. Steve engaged two. Can you cover a need for immediate de- deductions? There is zero reason to put fingers in a fighter's face. And I think we should talk about from your aspect of, of you've you're in there. You, you could, you've competed, you're, you're training every day and, and how much, you know, when you look at the glove, you know, the fact that it doesn't exactly, you know, curve your, your fingertips down. So a lot of guys, you know, typically do kind of, you know, raise, you know, the fingers do kind of go uh, towards their opponent. Yeah. Uh, it's a very tough thing to solve in the sport of MMA because you're including a variety of things. You're including striking, grappling, wrestling, um, jiu-jitsu, you know, you're covering everything. So you have to find a glove that allows you to do them all. Boxing gloves won't work. Bad gloves won't work. So, you know, the invention of MMA gloves uh, is really the best thing that we have. And until somebody develops a different type of glove that can really curve your fingers downward or protect your fingers from going in a fighter's eye, it's just something that we're going to have to deal with in the sport, Jason, because a lot of eye pokes happen when a per- when a fighter um, is trying to post, uh, trying to create separation. Um, it's also a defense mechanism as well. So when a guy starts to crowd you, when you have kickboxing gloves, a lot of times what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that your guard's high, your chin's tucked, and you're going to post or frame on your opponent to create that space and move your feet so you're out of the danger zone. 
And when you're doing that with MMA gloves and you're talking about guys moving their heads and throwing combinations, it's a fight. Guys move in right into the fingers, right into the eyes. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen a lot. It's almost like headbutts happen a lot as well when two guys are very offensive and are trying to really throw their combinations hard and are stepping in. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. And, you know, other sports don't have to worry about it. Boxing, you're not going to have to worry about that. And, uh, you know, for this, we're just going to have to roll with it a little bit. But I think the referees can actually start to implement some some hard calls or some some foul calls that uh, can change the game and make fighters a little bit more responsible for the fingers. You know, I truly feel that until there's, you know, referees start taking points. Like to me, yeah. that that's the only way that a fighter is, is going to sit there and it's not just going to extend their hand out, you know, because we, we see it all the time, you know, you know, sometimes and I know you can talk about this is sometimes it's a way that fighters can use it to, to gauge their range. Like, like to me, I think that, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen an eye poke happen where it happens one time, two times, mm-hmm. and then really it's not till the third time that the referee then finally gives that stern warning. But it's like at that point, so much damage has already been done. Yeah, so, you know, we were joking about this before the show, and, you know, if you receive a foul in basketball, you get a trip to the free throw line to help your team out. Uh, You know, in an MMA fight, when you get fouled, whether it's a low shot or an eye poke or something of that sort, you are affected, and you have to deal with that going forward and attempt to fight a guy who hasn't been affected by something like that and if, if a point system isn't going to help you in your favor, then really I don't know what can help you in that moment. Um, you know, and we're all very prideful. We don't want to quit due to a foul or uh, think that we're really impaired by, by a foul. But the reality of it is, Jason, it takes a toll on your body. So I think there needs to be – I don't know if a zero tolerance rule would work because accidents happen. I think there needs to be – a one warning and then anything else, at, you know, anything after that is point deductions. Because if ple- if people are just playing the game, you always get one, maybe two chances to commit a foul, whether it's a fence grab, an eye poke, a low shot, um, you know, and people play the system. Yeah, I mean, we, we see it happen all the time with, with fouls. I mean, you know, it's it's. I remember being at a, a local fight here in Tampa, I don't know, probably about two, two and a half years ago, and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe when I actually saw a referee take a point for a fence grab. I was I was sitting there and, you know, kind of had an adult beverage in my hand. And I go, I look at my buddy who the fight's with, I'm like, holy crap, he actually took points. I love it. I love it. And I love it when referees are confident in their picks. I think a few things need to change in order to to improve our sport for the better and change the landscape of, you know, healthy fighters and proper fighting. And I think uh, the use of replay across the nation and across the world needs to happen. Every other sport in the world has a replay. And I think that that needs to come into consideration somehow. Now, I don't know, like, the proper time or the technicalities of how we could use that. But let me tell you, Jason, when there is an obvious foul or a fighter is complaining about an obvious foul, we have to resort to replay. I mean, it's 2020. You know, you're talking about umpires in baseball missing a guy on first base and, uh, you know, they, they challenge it. Now, I don't know if a challenge can work because it's a fight. 
But something needs to happen. Point deductions need to happen more often and more frequently from referees that are confident in their abilities. And replay needs to be instituted across the nation. Well, there is replay in certain jurisdictions, but yeah. the way, but what happens is once you go to replay, the fight's over. Yeah, see, I don't know if I agree with that, though, Jason, and I understand that there needs to be some, some times in fights where that is the case. Like, you go to the replay in this circumstance, the fight's over. But if, say, there's a break in the action and a guy is complaining, we've already called time on, on a foul. We know it's a foul. But we want to see if it's an egregious foul. Think about the NBA. And they're they're basically reviewing to see what grade of foul it is. Perhaps that's that's where we could really, you know, provide replays to help out the referees in these tough, tough, you know, decision making moments. Because let me tell you, to try to see everything as a referee is very difficult and they don't receive the props that that they really should. Let me ask you. So Cormier admits after the fight that he couldn't see. Yeah. I don't recall a doctor coming in ever between a round to ask if he could see or not. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been poked in the eye so bad that even after a couple minutes, you still couldn't see out of one eye? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's from a poke. It happens a lot from punches and you actually mistaken, um, you know, the injury to your eye to be an eye poke, but usually it's a punch. And the worst is when your eye is open and you get caught with a grazing shot on the eye and it cuts your eye. Or it feels like, man, I just got poked in the eye. But the reality of it is it's the punch that, that caused the damage. And, you know, DC definitely took a deep finger to the eye. So that didn't help the matter. But if you look at the sequence before that when he was dropped, uh, you know, when he was dropped and rocked, I think uh, I think it was from from some punches that actually did the damage to his eye. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought that the damage was already done, and but obviously yeah. the, then the eye poke takes care of it. I, I will say this: watching the fight, I thought DC looked like a forty-one-year-old fighter. He definitely had moments in the fight where he looked good, but overall, I just heading into the fight, I truly. I truly did not believe that this was going to be the final fight of DC's career. I just felt that, and and look, my my pick of DC ultimately was wrong. I, I knew it was a 50-50 fight. It wasn't a, a situation where I thought that, oh man, no question, DC's going to win this fight. I knew it was a 50-50 fight, but I thought going into it, I was like, there's no way this is DC's last fight. And I know there are still people that believe that he will not want to go out like this because he is a competitor and just that, that mentality. But, you know, after watching that fight and I try not to take too much of the heat of the moment comments yep. from Daniel Cormier, but as I watched him, it, it's, it definitely seemed like a guy that he seemed at peace with it being his last one. So when you are immediately uh, interviewed or, you know, whatever after your fight and say it didn't go your way, emotions are running high and your temper is running high. So, you know, sometimes crazy thoughts and crazy reactions, you know, come out of your mouth. And, you know, for me, it just sounded like it was pain as if like he's upset and disappointed in his own performance and wanted to go out, go out on top. Um, and that didn't happen. And that doesn't happen often. Not everybody has the Henry Cejudo. I'm going to retire while I'm on top GSP right into the right off into the whoa, sunset. Whoa, whoa, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. For now, he's retired, Jason. Okay. Until you don't, you don't believe that, do you? 
For now, he's retired. So we can't say you want we can't. OK, we can't act like he's not retired. I mean, he's been retired for a little bit. And if it is his last time fighting, it makes sense because let's let's think about a fighter like um, let's think of Dennis Bermudez, right? OK, hold on. I'll, I'll throw one to you. OK. If Henry Cejudo does not fight in the next 12 months, what's the bet? I don't think he fights in the next 12 months. I don't. I don't know. I don't, I'm not trying to bet because I don't know. Because <laughs> you didn't lose. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think that he's uh, I, I don't think that he's going to come back, man. I really don't. I, 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 don't. I, th- I think the biggest part of that be is, is the UFC going to dangle enough money in front of him that kind of convinces him. I, I think that's really the key. But I don't see a matchup where it makes sense. I mean, honestly, just stay away and you know, don't make the same mistake that some of these guys have. The only um, way I could see it is if somehow Demetrius Johnson ended up back in the UFC. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, is if DJ for the third trilogy, one of the biggest fights of all time. Um, you know, sometimes like fighters just want to go out with a win. They don't want to go out like that. And think of a fighter as De- you know, Dennis Bermudez was facing four fights, four losses um, in a row. And when he ultimately finally turned it around and got his victory over Tay Edwards, he decided, you know what? Perfect time. I'm going out on top. I'm retiring. You know, it's just not the same. And I'm not the same fighter that I was. So we could see DC look to turn around his career by a win like that of coming in and fighting somebody that that he can beat and then deciding to go out with that victory. Because elite level competition for DC at this time is not there. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the one thing he did say is like, hey, if I'm not fighting for a title, he, you know, that, and which you understand that when you're in his position, yeah. but, you know, it makes you wonder because, you know, he's going back on the commentary table in, in the very near future. And all of a sudden he's at cage side. Does, does he start to get that feelings or just even just being in the gym, you know, working with the guys at AKA, is that going to, you know, when, you know, if, if Khabib ends up coming to the U.S. to prepare, you know, for his fight against Justin Gaethje, Will that get those competitive juices flowing? Where he's like, you know what, man, I want to, I want to make another run at this. But um, I, my gut feeling says, I, I, I think he's done. Yeah, I think that he is done. Um, you know, anytime you're around the sport, especially as much as DC, it's very tempting to be around combat sports or get involved in combat sports and hard to let go. Especially like for me, like if I'm cornering my guys, it makes me want to fight even more. Uh, if we're talking and breaking down three or four fight cards a week, Jason, and it makes me want to fight. So, you know, I can only imagine at the elite level like DC, uh, you know, if he does decide to come back, he's earned every right, honestly. Yeah. It, when you were talking about the emotions of a fighter, it made me think about the last time that you competed and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, just just being your friend. I was like, okay, when do I call Pete? When do I text Pete to basically say, hey, man, everything good? You know, and I just like I had that thought just as a friend of like, okay, I need to let let a couple hours kind of go by before I hit up Pete and say, hey, man, are you doing okay? Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, it's tough when it's so much easier to be the guy in there rather than watching somebody you know or, or care about compete in a crazy sport like MMA, like for my fighters, it's different because I'm a coach. But like, if I'm not in the corner 
and I'm watching a friend fight, I feel like I'm fighting all over. Like I got so much, so many butterflies and everything. So I can only imagine for people that haven't competed themselves, how they deal with it. Like say like my mom, um, or something like that. I can't imagine being a parent watching, watching your, your kid in there fighting. But, uh, you know, I appreciate it, man. It, and Joe Rogan admitted that it's very tough to call fights for his friends of Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier. And, you know, John Anik mentioned the same thing and it's definitely tough, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done this for so long, so I've, you know, I've built relationships with fighters over the yeah. years and there's just certain fighters. Like as I watch the fight, I don't watch it as, you know, reporter fighter relationship just because of, you know, like when you see me have a, a video interview with a fighter, you know, we may talk five minutes before or five minutes after about yeah just life in general. And so you kind of get to know that person. So there's, you know, like, I'm, you know, I remember sitting on the couch the last time you fought, I'm like at the edge of the couch. So nervous. Like I'm not even <laughs> one in there. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, it's just how it is. Uh, it's, it's so tough when you know people and you'll always root for somebody and get more invested in the fight when you have a previous relationship with somebody, uh, even a conversation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's a crazy game we play, Jason. No, it is a very crazy game. You know, the best fight of UFC 252, in my mind, was the first fight of the night in Kai Kamaka and yeah. Tony Kelly. And, you know, we talked about it on the DFS show of, you know, why we, we thought Kelly was a good spot as an underdog role. And kind of crazy the fact of uh, on DraftKings, he scored 57 points in a loss. Marab mm -hmm. Davosvili in a win scored 65 points, which first off, kudos to John Dotson for escaping as many. I want to say uh, Marab ended up being like two of 20 in takedown attempts. Yeah. It, it was j just a crazy number. But in terms of that Kelly and Kamaka fight, I want to talk about a sequence in the third round with you. And, and, I, and this is a sequence that I've talked with fighters for a long time about. And it's the risk reward of when you're in a fight and you know that, okay, if I do this technique, it could end the fight. It could do me very well, or it could put me in a bad position. And very early on in that third round, Tony Kelly on the feet goes through the guillotine, drops down, loses the guillotine. And then, of course, you know, and loses the position, gets put in a bad position. So kind of want to get your take as a fighter of, how do you balance that? And, and, and maybe even talk about from a guillotine aspect, because I think the fact of is, I don't mind. I think that's a. I don't mind that decision if it's in the first round where you're not sweaty. Yeah. So there are certain submissions that you know the risk or reward. You have to weigh it, and I would say that um, a lot of it has to do with the time in the round. There are certain techniques where you should not commit too early on them because if you fail or your opponent gets out of them, you have a very long time to be on the mat. Uh, that situation where he was lighting up Kai Kamaka in a very, very close fight. I mean, Kai Kamaka early on looked incredible. I'm like, okay, where does where did this kid come from? I, I wanted to see this on his fight footage. We didn't see any of that. Uh, Tony Kelly definitely stepped up and showed his heart and showed that, you know, he actually wanted it and uh, started to turn the fight around. But like a guillotine in that situation, you're you're winning the fight, the winning the the round. And now you really put yourself in a bad position because Kamak is able to shrug out of it and, and put you on your back. 
that guillotine needs to be at the end of a round um, as like a, the stamp on the round or a last minute, you know, Hail Mary type of attempt. Because when when you're in there, you need everything to go in your favor. And uh, everything was going in his favor in that third round standing up. You had a tired, exhausted Kai Kamaka. Um, you know, it's almost like it's almost like uh, if you think about Andre Sukumta against Sean O'Malley, when he had him hurt because of the foot injury of Sean O'Malley, and instead of just, you know, staying on the gas, standing up, you go to a takedown and basically keep him in that fight. Uh, Tony Kelly kept Kamaka in that fight by doing that and allowing him to get out of the guillotine and stay on top for a little bit. So another um, sequence I want to talk to you about, and I'm 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 ready to, for you to bust my balls here <laughs> on on Herbert Burns losing. I, I look, I, I felt really good about it. Um, and for so I'll tell you. So we're watching the fights. My wife is watching the fights with me, and Herbert Burns is walking to the octagon. And she's like, "Is this guy going to fire? Is he like dancing in a club?" Bree, yeah, Bree, Bree was like. This guy's annoying. What's he think? He's a stripper? Get in the cage already. So <laughs> so I was laughing. And I'm like, babe, sometimes that's, you know, maybe he's nervous. That's how he's dealing with it. But, uh, man, let me tell you that, that, you know, Herbert Burns physically didn't look the same. I think that he was either hiding an injury or an illness. Um, it clearly showed. And I think that he might have, you know, severely underestimated uh, his opponent, uh, Pineda and uh, props to Daniel Pineda, able to put him in some really, really bad positions, you know, in the crucifix position and just pound him out. I was going to ask you about that crucifix position in terms of when you are the fighter on bottom, when, I mean, literally they've got one of your arms tied up, what can you do? Yeah, so you got to get on one hip and you actually have to reach with your far leg to try to grab their leg, almost like a half guard recovery. And when you do that, you can sometimes regain half guard, or sometimes what you can do is you can take your your top hand, pull on the lat. Now you have your shin, their shin in your other hand, and attempt to roll, um, you know, over your shoulder. But a lot of times, what you can do is just try to buck and shrimp. It's a tough position to be in. You have to really be able to get your arm out of a bad position. And, uh, you know, if you can get your arm from, you know, un, you know, out from underneath them, underneath in between their legs, you're gonna, in a better, better position. But, you know, it's such a tough thing. If you don't drill it, you don't work on it in camp. And you have a guy who's so good with heavy hips. And it's a, it's a perfect situation where you saw Daniel Pineda's experience and his nearly 50 fights shine through and Herbert Burns looking a little green despite his uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu accolades. Yeah, that was my thing. I was just like, man, the Herbert Burns that showed up the previous two times UFC, that is not the Herbert Burns that showed up on Saturday. Yeah, I uh, look, I had it wrong, man. I'm not, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. Like, this is the thing, like, when you're picking 13 fights every week, newsflash, you're not going to be 100%. No, and if you are, man, I don't know. I You, you might be from First uh, back off, okay. to the future with the, with the sports almanac or something. Look, I don't know. If I'm hitting 100% of picks, the likelihood is I'm not doing a podcast. I'm just <laughs> sitting in a Vegas casino. I mean, look, if you can hit 60 to 65% of your picks, you're, you're going good. I mean, look, I got it wrong. I mean, I'm not, 
I'm never going to hide from if I get something wrong, I'm going to tell you I got it wrong. You know, Same, man. I'm transparent as well. And and, you know, I wasn't as high on Burns as you were, um, but I definitely thought that he'd still get it done. I just thought Pineda and you, you saw how skilled Burns was in that fight. It looked like he just was fatigued and had no gas because he had Pineda in some terrible positions. Now, I'd like to bring up something to you and we didn't talk about it pre-show. And I think it's something that we can start utilizing moving forward. For gentlemen or ladies that miss weight, perhaps we should take like like a 10 or 20% deduction from our own personal projection of their performance. Um, maybe maybe we don't value them as high. Maybe maybe we mm-hmm. say we had them at I don't know, 40% in our, in our models. And now we're going to drop them down to 30% exposure because you don't know. And and nobody knows, and you'll never know until after a fight, how somebody Mm -hmm. is when they miss weight, you know? And I think if you just set a rule of, I'm going to, um, limit my exposure and slightly diminish my exposure to a, to a fighter that missed weight, perhaps it'll work out in the long run. You know, another fight that I was wrong on was Sean O'Malley and Cheeto Vera. You know, look, I thought that that was going to be a showcase type fight for for uh, for Sean O'Malley. And look, I think we gotta we gotta give credit to Cheeto Vera what he was able to do in that fight. But as a fight ended, like I wasn't even thinking about Cheeto and 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 what he did in the fight. I wasn't. I was I was more sitting there going, man. Is Sean O'Malley, I mean, like, A, I knew the Sean O'Malley haters were going to come out in full force. He's a guy that, you know, people, you know, are going to tend to, you know, he's a love or hate type guy. Either you're going to love him or hate him. And look, we saw on our show on Saturday over at awesomeo.com of, you know, just in the YouTube chat of just, man, there was a lot of people who were really down on him, you know, didn't necessarily want to believe the hype. But I was sitting there going, man, with everything that this has come happen with Sean O'Malley, man, you can't help but wonder, is this guy injury prone? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's certain players in the NFL or NBA that are injury prone. Um, you know, and some fighters face more injuries than others. Uh, look what Dominic Cruz has had to face and how many surgeries he's had to face. And with an injury like that, and it seemed like it's been a nagging, nagging, consistent injury that keeps reoccurring. You have to wonder, Will he be back and how long will it be? And will we will we even like see Sean O'Malley at his highest potential? Because how impacted will these injuries be on his career and his performance and his confidence going forward? Um, definitely Cheeto Vera landed a sweet calf kick. And sometimes you can take him, Jason, and sometimes your legs can't. And we've seen it in Michael Chandler fights. Um, you know, there are numerous fights where you can look at and you can actually see the same type of reaction from the fighter who took the leg kick of like a limp leg almost, um, losing feeling. I, I, it's it's almost like if you were sitting down too long and you're trying to stand up and you have you know you, you know numb legs and uh, you're trying to move around and that one ankle is just not there. Um, you know, for Sean O'Malley, what a disappointing performance and to go out like that. Marlon Barra landed some tough, tough ground and pound, but ultimately. Man, the injuries plague him, and uh, I don't know how he's going to recover from it. And when you look at this run that 
Marlon Vera has been on, it is yeah. time for him to get a top 15. I mean, even though, to, you know, Sean O'Malley, I believe, was ranked 14th heading into this fight. It's time for Cheeto Vera to, to get someone, you know, in that top 10, 12-ish. And, and who knows? Maybe he gets someone much higher up. I'm still not buying it. I think that I think that the the top of the division chew him up and spit him out. I just really do. Um, I I don't know. I I just see so many flaws defensively. Offensively, he's good, but I think the top of the food chain can really you know take advantage of some of the bad spots. Um, you know, also we had the return of Felice Herrick. Did not go well for her at all. Uh, first, uh, when it comes to her official record, first official stoppage, uh, loss, of course we, we know she, she lost on the Austin fire that doesn't go, go down on your mixed martial arts, uh, the official registry database. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, she didn't, she didn't look good. Looked like a fire who had, who had not you know, competed in nearly two years, man. Yeah. And it was the perfect game plan for a uh, Vernagin Roba of going there, shoot a, a very, very quick takedown, um, you know, lace that leg and trip with that leg to take her down and work your game. And a girl that was dominated against Paige Van Zant, and we really can hindsight's twenty twenty. We can really see what Paige Van Zant is in the cage. If it hit the mat, I knew it was going to be bad news for Felice Herrig, and uh, definitely proved to be bad news. And it might have been a little too quick of a turnaround. Only a couple months ago, she was talking about her knee finally feeling normal, and now she's trying to compete against a a very highly touted female athlete in the in the UFC. So uh, I hope she she sticks to it, gets back in the gym, and comes back uh, after some time off. So there was a name mentioned by Dominic Cruz in the broadcast. I don't know if you caught it. Did you catch the name he mentioned in the broadcast for for um, Vernon Janaroba or for Felice Herrig? No, no, totally separate. Oh, I don't know. He mentioned Michael Chandler. Oh yes, and, yes. And, and I remember I go hmm. Now look, yes, they've been they were trading partners back in the day. I was like, okay, you can you can make that excuse. Then uh kudos to John Morgan from May Junkie. He asked Dana White about Michael Chandler in a post fight press conference. And uh, you know, paraphrasing uh what Dana White said, he was like, Yeah, I, I, I we would love to have a conversation with them. And like you see all the things Michael Chandler's posted on, on social media since his win over Benson Henderson, like to me, like the writing is on the wall. The yeah. writing's on the wall. Michael Chandler's going to be a UFC fighter. I can't wait for it, man. I would. I just. I'm trying to wrap my head around who he's going to fight first in the UFC. Paul Felder, Dustin Poirier. I don't know. Something like that could be very interesting. I got another name for you, Dan Ooh. Hooker. Oof. Oof. I. So. I think as the UFC, you're not bringing this guy in to to make him lose. You're bringing him in to show his skills. So I think they're going to be very careful with the first matchup. Oh, no, no, no. I think they throw him straight to the Wolves. I don't know, man. Why? I I don't think that you want to ruin potential in Michael Chandler. Obviously, I know that he's coming from Bellator. But I think get his feet wet in in the UFC. Eddie Alvarez went straight to Donald Cerrone. Uh, Will Brooks, when he, when Will Brooks, when he came over, he fought, uh, was it, I want to say Ross Pearson in his first fight. Um, he fought, uh, Charles Oliveira who lost, uh, he got suspended by, by Dubronx. Um, they, I, I don't look with the amount of money that you are going to pay Michael Chandler. And I mean, look, it may not be as much money as he's currently making in Bell in, in Bellator. Who knows? But to me, when you bring in that type of fighter, 
he's at at the the low case, the fighting someone in a low top fifteen. I think he's getting oh, somebody yeah. in the top ten, potentially someone in the top five. And and I think we talked about this, you know, last week or week before when we were talking about Michael Chandler. Like when you look at where he is at in his career, at thirty four years old. Like to me, if you ever going to get this is like to me his last opportunity to go to UFC because you know, yes, this is prize fighting, and you want to make the most money you can, but there does become a point where you want to say I'm the baddest dude at 155 pounds, and no disrespect to Bellator, no disrespect to one championship PFL or any other organization, not named UFC, you cannot be the best fighter in your weight class and not be in the UFC. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um... I think uh, the UFC realizes how talented he is, and Michael Chandler knows that he belongs in the UFC. Um, looking at the the lightweight rankings right now, now I agree with you. He's going to come in and fight somebody ranked. They're not going to give him just somebody that could potentially ruin him. Uh, they're going to put him up and in, in, in for a tough test. So let's look. Uh, Drew Dober, not really a matchup that makes too much sense. Benil Dariush, no. Donald Cerrone, if he didn't have a fight right now, that actually could have been a, a big one as a big introduction to the UFC. Um, you're looking at Kevin Lee. Paul Felder, I think, makes a ton of sense. Uh, Ally Quinta, not really. Dan Hooker's a great pick. Uh, Charles Oliveira already has a fight coming up against Benil Darius. That's going to be insane. Perhaps you do a Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler. I mean, ooh, talk about that. That's crazy. Oh, that would be absolutely the money fight uh, if, if there was one for Michael Chandler. Now, I uh, did have some notable news here on Monday as John Jones has vacated the UFC light heavyweight title, as he said on Twitter. He said, just got off the phone with UFC. Today, I confirmed I am vacating the light heavyweight championship. I'm officially up. It's officially up for grabs. It's been an amazing journey. Sincere thank you to all the competition, UFC, and most importantly, the fans. And then an hour and a half after that post, he has another post, which makes you go, hmm, just had a really positive conversation with the UFC. Sounds like they will, there will be negotiations for my next fight at heavyweight. All good news. The weight gaining process begins. Yeah, so I, I'm in a in a group chat with my buddies, and they're like, oh, man, John Jones is retired. I knew he'd walk away from the sport. I'm like, guys, he's not retiring. It's not over for John Jones. It's all a negotiation tactic, and it's all bluff. It's all bluff to get attention on him, get the media all up in arms, and get the UFC to realize what they could potentially lose with John Jones, and uh, to create some excitement, you know, amongst the UFC and everything. And John Jones, we knew it. He's going to go to heavyweight. I mean, it's no surprise. He's been lifting for weeks and months now, putting on weight, um, really trying to become, you know. Uh, a proper size for that weight class, even though a guy like Stipe Miocic didn't look the biggest in his last bout, you know, on Saturday against Daniel Cormier. I think John Jones is going to fit in perfectly fine at heavyweight. I don't see the physique being a problem. I honestly can see him going in there and just wiping out that division as well. There's some, you know, some scary names like Francis Ngannou, but you have to think of a overall MMA game of wrestling and everything. And uh, I think John Jones is the best bet to to capture that belt. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, after uh, UFC uh, 252 was over, Dana White was kind of asked about, you know, what's next for Stipe Miocic. And, and he flat out just said Francis Ngannou. He said, Francis has, has earned this. He's done it. I think that makes a lot of sense. But 
financially speaking, if you're looking at it from the UFC's aspect of let's make the most money, it's got to be Jones Stipe. Come on. It's Jones Stipe. Um, maybe Stipe has no interest in fighting in Ghana because he's already beaten in Ghana. And, uh, you know, I think a Jones and Ganu for the title makes a lot more sense. You're not going to have Jones and Ganu fight. Um, and if Ngannou faces Stipe again and loses, there goes that potential matchup of John John Jones and Francis Ngannou. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, give John the shot, um, even though I think that Ngannou has proven he is right there. But uh, I think Francis and John is a, is a fight that is very, very interesting going forward. By the way, I, I've got a little message to the people around Stipe Miocic. You guys got to work better at marking this guy. The guy's got a tremendous personality. I, I Look, I understand he's got a full-time job as a firefighter. This would be my suggestion to Stipe and his management. He should start a video podcast with him and the crew inside the firehouse. Yeah, I, that would be great. Or he needs to create a YouTube channel or something because – even going back years now, Jason, every time he's on Embedded, he's a fun personality. He's a fun guy. He's hilarious. Uh, you know, he mumbles a lot, and a lot of the guys rag on him about it. It's pretty funny. Uh, you know, and and just uh, the guys at the firehouse, he says, give him the hardest time about his fights. And that's usually the brotherhood of, you know, whether it's martial arts teammates or, you know, work, you know, coworkers or, you know, fellow law enforcement guys or you know, firefighters, whatever. It's just that close, close knit brotherhood that'll give you the hardest time. And it's all love at the end of the day. Exactly. It's all, I mean, we, we love the bus on each other's balls all the time. So, uh, you know, it's all good. It's all good fun. You know, it's all good fun. You gotta, you, you always gotta, you know, bust, bust your boys' chops every once in a while, you know? Yeah. yeah you gotta clean them and check, you know, you gotta figure out there if they're still in your MySpace top eight or not. <laughs> As Herbert Burns is in yours. <laughs> You know, like if I was going to label something, it's complicated. I don't know. I I think he's in the it's complicated category. He's not quite in the top eight anymore. It's it's he's it's complicated. Okay, okay, it makes sense. Look, Uh, it's like we he's joking. You know, I've been in a long running fantasy uh, baseball league. This is the first year we haven't played in a long time, and we always talk about we've got our man crushes list. Yeah, and that and like people in my league, they'd be a little dick about it. They yeah. would know who your man crush is. And take him right before you. And they would draft him. And then magically right the draft's over because we always, always go out after the draft, get some beers, whatnot. And they go, hey, Jason. So one of my man crush back in the day, Carl Crawford. Okay. okay. CC. He, he was on the man crush list in fantasy baseball. Uh-huh. And I remember someone took him and went literally out after. He goes, hey, Jason. CC's on the trading block. You want him? I go, you're a dick. <laughs> I go, let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's, uh, you know, sports brings us all together and, and, you know, fantasy football leagues or fantasy baseball leagues. It's, it's so fun. And it's awesome to get behind a player or a team and root for them. Man, uh, you know, of the current MMA fighters out there, I love Francis Ngannou. I really do. He he's probably the scariest human being on on the planet right now, and I think uh, he's proven everybody how legit he is. Yeah, I, I will tell you, I thought JDS was looking pretty good on on, on Saturday yeah. in that first round, but you know Rosenstruck. I I think it was and look, and I was a backer of Rosenstruck in that fight. Same. Watching it, were you like me and like man, throw something. 
Yeah. So that's, that's the perfect scenario of what I was afraid of, like uh, how he, how he was in, in the Overeem fight where he's so tentative and, and looking for the perfect shot. And when you're looking for that perfect singular shot, sometimes you're behind on the scorecards and um, then you could end up losing the decision if it goes that route, because I think that he was on his way to losing a decision before that nice barrage he threw at, at JDS in, you know, looking at JDS's game. It's like, man, attempt to take down like why are you still standing with this guy either he's very stubborn or he needs to really reevaluate his game plans going forward like this is an mma fight if you just want to stand up it's really not the smartest decision at this point in your career when you suffered what seven tko losses now three three straight by the way so uh when i was doing my my podcast the mayor report last week you know mm-hmm. go on twitter day before ask for questions one of the questions was, so when's Pete fighting? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't answer the question because I figured I would wait till here. I think the, the best way to answer this question, TBD. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, it's it's a tough time right now, Jason. You know this. It's uh, it's tough to, to do anything. I think regional MMA is going to be suspended for quite some time now. I think uh, it's not going to resume for you know very long because – Unlike the top dogs with with uh, tons of TV deals or whatnot, the the way that local MMA shows make money is through ticket sales, and when you can't do that, I don't know. I don't. Th- that's my whole thing, and and so I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and I was like, if you don't have a good streaming deal, look, some of these streaming deals aren't the best streaming deals. Okay? No, they're not. Because um, I've heard numbers, and I think the numbers will probably surprise people of what they are. But if you're so reliant on ticket sales and sponsorships for this fight is brought to you by or, you know, whatever, I don't know how a lot of regional shows can financially make it work. Because, like, if you're in a region where you've got two, three, four fighters, like they're your core fighters, because, you know, they can put 100, 150 butts in the seats that's where their value is. Their value is how many butts they can put in the seats. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I, I know some people will not like the fact that Bellator will do regional, you know, regional ticket seller fights, but it's just a part of the business model. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the truth. Uh, if you're a fighter from the area where a promotion is, and you sell a ton of tickets, the promotion is going to look at you to to get involved in a lot of the cards. And uh, you can't fault Bellator. It's a perfect, you know, perfect promotion strategy of when they're going through towns. And if you even look at the UFC, the UFC does the same thing. Let's not act like the UFC doesn't. And they're not so dependent on ticket sales, but they want local talent all the time. So like say they go to Ireland, they're going to fill the card with local Irish fighters to, to make the – the local scene and make the fan base want to be there and want to be a part of it even more to raise the stakes a little bit. So no matter where you go, you're going to find local fighters attached to it. And uh, as far as regional MMA, man, it's going to be quite some time. But the thing is also, if you're a high level ticket seller in the regional scene, in a way it can be a gift and a, a gift and a curse where yeah. it's because you're so valuable as a ticket seller that you you may not be able to be as frequent as you would like to be. Yeah. 
Yep. I uh, know a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a business side of the sport. And look, I, I give a lot of credit for doing the show I did with Sam Kaplan, where I learned a lot about the business side of the sport. And it really, it, it really helps you understand how this business works on no matter what stage of the fight game you're at, whether we're talking about, you know, you've got a couple of fights, you're, you're working on a regional scene or, or you're getting on a, an LFA, a Bellator or UFC or, you know, WSOF when they were doing, you know, local fights, PFL doesn't do local fights, which I think is a very bad business decision. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get why they, they don't want to do it, but to me, it's, it's, it's something that, that, to me, I, I think they should do, but you know, we did mention that uh, we do got a ton of MMA going on this week, Tuesday night. Of course, we got the Contender Series uh, back in our lives. Then, of course, uh, Friday we got LFA and Bellator. Of course, LFA on Fight Pass, Bellator on the Paramount Network, also streaming on DAZN. And then on Saturday we got uh, UFC on ESPN. Number fifteen, uh, you know, uh, first off with the contender series, we're going to see a fight that was supposed to headline week one, and that was Kenny Cross against Kevin Sauer. Uh, Kenny Cross coming out of the Lights Out Championship up there in the Michigan scene was their lightweight champion, taking on Kevin Sauer. Uh, the reason this fight was canceled the first time around, or scratch, I should say, was because Kevin Sauer tested positive for COVID. Uh, I don't even think he had made it to Vegas yet. I think it was a little, maybe a day or two before he was going to go to Vegas. The UFC had tried to find Kenny Cross, a new opponent, just ultimately did not happen. So they're going to book this fight. Josh Parisian back uh, on the Contender Series. He's taking on Chad uh, Chad Johnson. Matt Dixon is uh, somebody out of that Oklahoma regional scene that I've talked to before. He's on this card taking on another fellow undefeated fighter. Uh, Hillary Rose up there in the Northeast. I've had a chance to interview her in the past. She's on this card. Uh, Victor Reyna. We've seen him before, so he's back on this one. So kind of like, like what, what sticks out to you about uh, Tuesday night's card? Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting that Kevin Sadler is still on the card um, or is, is taking a fight after recently testing positive for COVID. Like, you know, management-wise, is that the best decision? Because maybe he's impaired from, from having coronavirus and uh, slightly hampered. I understand that he's worried about giving up an opportunity like this, but uh, – I don't know, Jason. I feel like there are so many more contender series fights coming up and how they're looking and searching for so much talent that I don't know if he really needed to push this and, and rebound two weeks after he tested positive. Um, Josh Parisian in this bout against Chad Johnson. Josh Parisian has some big, big wins. Um, and uh, I think that this is a nice spot for him to shine. Dixon is a very nice undefeated prospect. And, uh, you know, the... The female bout, uh, Cheyenne Bice, coming from Fortis MMA against Hillary Rose from the New England scene. Interesting to see how a New Englander faces up against Fortis MMA, which is like a powerhouse gym. And uh, Victor Reyna, 11-4, facing uh, Louis Koski at 6-0. I, I think that's a nice spot for Victor Reyna, um, and his experience will prove it. He's he's lost to some legitimate legitimate competition, so he's fought some some true tough tests. Yeah, the Northeast has, has not had uh, fared well on the contender series. Let me ask you something about going back to the Kevin Sauer thing. Yeah. If you knew your opponent recently had COVID, yeah. would that concern you at all? No, if anything, the guy still wants to fight. Absolutely. Uh, you know, because we, we know that it can definitely affect, um, you know, your your 
respiratory levels of of how deep of breaths you can take. So you, know, you would imagine that it would affect somebody's cardio. Um, perhaps it would lead to somebody being sluggish and not being in the best of shape because they had to take time off from being sick. Perhaps Herbert Burns was suffering from that because down at that area, uh, you know, there was a ton of COVID going on. I'm not saying that he fought with COVID, but perhaps he was ill weeks during the camp. Um, you know, if, if you know your opponent's coming off of something like that, it's almost like, uh, I want to say preying on the week, but you want to take advantage of the situation for sure. Now, on Friday night, Bellator 244, great main event between Ryan Bayer defending his light heavyweight title. Uh, so he's going to be challenged by Vadim Nemkov. This fight was supposed to initially take back put, take place back in May. I, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people who are just going to blindly say Ryan Bayer's pick. And look, he should win this fight, but man, Vadim Nemkov is a serious dude. Uh, you cannot be taken lightly in this one. Uh, Jesse Miele, a, a Northeaster fire. She's got a huge opportunity taking Crazy. on Julia Budd. Uh, also, Sydney Outlaw, Adam Piccolotti. That's a good matchup at, at 155 pounds. Josh Hill, Eric Perez. Um, you know, and Yaroslav Amosov and Mark Leminger. That is another fight that has my eye on this fight card. Yeah, that fight just blows my mind. Uh, Mark Leminger uh, fought, what, a week ago, two weeks ago, had a nice performance. Um, but this is a huge step up in competition against uh, Yaroslav Amosov. I've watched him fight live against Eric Silva. Uh, the guy is super, super talented. Um, coming off of wins over Ed Ruth and David Rickles, uh, Eric Silva, Gerald Harris. The guy is 23-0 and for a reason. He's super talented. I think it's going to be way too much too soon for uh, Mark Leminger, even though he's a very nice prospect. Um, you know, looking at the whole card, it's a pretty pretty solid card. I will be rooting very heavily for Jesse Miele in this spot against Julia Budd. Talk about one of the biggest opportunities for a New England fighter ever. I think um, closest to that would probably be Calvin Cater against the beat. That's the best way I would have to look at it as if, uh, a new New England fighter fighting a top top ranked fighter, um, crazy opportunity. Um, I hope that she pulls it off. But Ryan Bader against Vadim Nemkov, Bader should get this done. I know that Vadim is a legitimate opponent, but Bader looks like he's really leveled up over the years. Um, complete martial artist, excellent wrestling, good boxing. Has really proven that he's a legitimate striker. And let's talk about something, Jason. These these posters for this fight card are insane like i'm looking at these posters i'm like damn i wish i fought on this card because i would love a poster like this all these matchups have some sweet posters bellator shout out to bellator's uh graphics team this one is sweet i have a feeling you could probably snag one of those ones you got you got some connections there at mohegan yeah i i think i might need uh you know one of these po- i'm looking at this and like even the ones that you know, because you have the the main fight poster, and then you have the individual fight posters mm-hmm. for each fighter to help them sell tickets, or not in this case, but uh, help pump up the fight. It's sweet. I, I love it. I think that they did a, they did a great job on this one. Uh, you know, speaking about something about Jesse Mielli, just go back to her. To me, yeah. the key with her is she has got to keep her back off the fence. If she <laughs> if she gets piled up against the fence, that is going to be exactly where Julia Budd's going to want this fight. Yeah, Julia Budd is going to be huge in this uh, in this fight. I think that she's going to have a big, big size advantage over Jesse Miele. Um, obviously, I'd be rooting for Jesse Miele. Same, same height, but I'm saying like 
weight wise, I think Julia Budd is just uh, very, very strong. She'll probably have the strength advantage. So Jesse Bielli needs to stick and move, light her up on the feet and uh, definitely stay off the cage. Then, of course, on Saturday, we've got the UFC, UFC on ESPN number 15 headline by Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar. Um, I heard some rumblings. This is only a three round fight. I don't know that for sure. I, I, I The UFC press release did not indicate whether this is a five round fight or a three round fight. Um, you know, Frankie Edgar now down at 135. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he fares against a Pedro Munoz. Who's, I mean, look, Pedro is one of the best 135 pounders in this division. Oban St. Prue back at 205 pounds, taking on Alonzo Menafield. How does Alonzo Menafield bounce back? That's going to be kind of interesting um, to see there. Daniel Rodriguez versus Takashi Soto may be the fight that I'm most interested to watch because I don't know how long it'll last, but I think that's going to be a, just a barber. Yeah. I'm excited for this card. Uh, shout out to Frankie Edgar, um, lived at his house for, I think three weeks or whatnot when I was, when I was training my buddy, Justin Hickey. Um, so it was cool. Uh, Frankie drove us to practice every single day and we, uh, it was so cool. It's so surreal to really think about that. That's when he was the champ. Um, you know, the athletes at the top of the, the divisions dropping down a weight class haven't had the best success. Let's think of, uh, let's think of Edson Barboza, um, Jose Aldo. Granted, those are like one time fights that they've taken so far. So we don't really know if they're going to have a ton of it, ton of success down at this lower weight class. Uh, Aldo's had two, right? Yeah. He had, he had Marlon Marais and then, uh, Peter Jan, but, um, you know, Frankie Edgar talking about fighting, a really tough test in Pedro Munoz. I know Frankie looks great and all, and we like to hold on to the past and, and and hold on to and cherish what we've seen from Frankie Edgar in those high stake moments. But man, I got to think that Pedro Munoz is going to be so prepared for this. He's younger and uh, seems fresher in his career. I, I like Pedro Munoz in the bout. Um, Alonzo Menafield, talk about a big step in competition when you lose a decision to Devin Clark against Ovin St. Pru, who's a legitimate guy. And they both face cardio issues. Uh, Alonzo Menafield's a very explosive athlete, but I think this is a very tough test for him. Uh, Maria Agapova's finally back. Uh, you know, really exploded onto the scene with that unbelievable performance in her last bout. Uh, Takashi Sato against a fan, fan, uh, DFS fan friendly Daniel Rodriguez. I'm sure he'll be appropriately priced in this matchup. Uh, Austin Hubbard. How does Austin Hubbard look against a legitimate UFC fighter in Joe Selecki and not against Max Roshkopf? Uh, you know, very interested for this fight. And I, I can't wait to see uh, if Joe Selecki is going to be able to um, put Hubbard in a bad position. I, I think I like Selecki in the fight, but man, top to bottom, some great matchups. Daniel Rodriguez, a minus one seventy five favorite. Oof, man, that's tough. Sato looked great in his last performance. Um, you know, great, great finish over Jason Witt. Um, Daniel Rodriguez has looked good, but I don't know, man. Gabe Green, on relatively short notice, was giving him all that he could handle uh, in their three round bout. So we'll have to see, man. That, that's a very tough fight to call. But I'll definitely have my exposures for DFS. Yeah, of course. On Thursday night, we'll have the the DFS strategy show. Uh, Agapovo, almost a twelve to one betting favorite. 
Yeah, she should be. I, I'm gonna twelve to one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but, bias uh, eleven sixty five currently. She's uh, gonna she's gonna yeah. put a whooping on Shannon Dobson, and uh, this is a nice spot for her. Um, Shannon Dobson in the UFC three and four. Man, uh, I think this might be one of the last ones for her. Yeah, um, their big favorite on the card uh, will be uh, Timur Valiev, who is minus five twenty five. So there's yeah. your 95, 94, 94, 93 fighters for this week on DraftKings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, crazy. I I mean, I'm excited to see if Tamara Valiev actually is going to fight this time. And if we can finally see the prospect that we've been hearing about for years. Over on Bellator, uh, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't mention about Roy Nelson's fight against uh, Valentin Moldovsky. Moldovsky is a 10 to 1 betting favorite. Wow, that is crazy. Oh, how the mighty have fallen in Roy Nelson. Um, let me take a look at who this guy has fought. He's he's legit. He's legit. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, he's got a nice win over Linton Vassell. Well, um, let's be honest about Roy Nelson. It, it's not gone well for him in Bellator. No, it hasn't. Oh, my God. I didn't realize Roy Nelson's on four-fight losing streak. Uh, you know, he's five. He's one in five in his past six. And uh, his only win comes against Javier Ayala. That by is the, great. By the way, there's already lines out on a potential John Jones, Francis, and Ganu fight. Yeah. John Jones on one site plus one ten on another site plus one twenty five. Crazy. Give me the give me John Jones all day in that situation. Um, yeah. I love Francis, but let's be real, wrestling is going to prove to be a factor in there. Jones Miocic. Jones minus 150, Stipe plus 130. I agree with that. Yeah, makes makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. So what else going on in your world, bro, as we get out of here? Nothing, man. Um, you know, NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm excited to see if uh, some of my lineups are cashing and uh, looking forward to some more NBA playoff basketball within the coming days. Yeah. I'm Finally, loving the, here. I'm loving this game starts at 1:30 and it just love goes it. all day long. I love it. I mean, my Nets are in the playoffs, but we are uh, we're we're pretty shorthanded. I mean, Karis Levert's doing all he can in there. We're we're finding some really really nice talent, um, but you can only you can only imagine if we were healthy and we had everybody. But I guess you get, a ton of teams could say that. Look, the Magic are in the playoffs too. Yeah, you got a tough matchup, bro. Oh, Four and done. Four and done. You think you got – yeah. Yeah, I don't think you guys won a game. Look, the Bucks might be able to, to rest. Giannis and Chris Middleton still beat the Magic. I, I would imagine that they could because you guys aren't the healthiest of teams either. I mean, you lost what? Jonathan Isaac. Um, yeah. like, you have Aaron Gordon, right? Yeah, but this like thing was like I was talking about it on on the NBA Live Before Lock show uh, earlier today. I was like, you know, Nick Nurse is a guy who does tend to always play his guys no matter what. I was like, if I'm him, like, why not start resting some of these guys? Because I don't think you got to be at full force. Yeah, so it's the balancing, um, balancing resting your guys and creating momentum and chemistry within the team and you don't want to go into a series cold against a team that's red hot so it's almost like you have to 
it's kind of like in, in fighting, peaking at the right time is probably the hardest thing to find out and the hardest thing to to really get in tune with of when you can peak at the proper time. Um, sometimes you overtrain, sometimes you undertrain, sometimes you know, you'll get injured from all the training. But if you can really let your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, you start to fully see your potential. Um, so I, I think they need to play at least three quarters and, you know, final quarter of the game, give some of the, the, the guys that aren't typically in the game, give, give the depth some, uh, some challenge. By the way, I was getting excited last uh, Tuesday night watching Hard Knocks. I haven't even seen it, and you know what's crazy is because I'm a Chargers fan, and we finally have uh, some spotlight. But oh, dude, the first episode it it spotlighted Anthony Lynn. Oh man, really, really, they did a great job of telling his story. Really, he, yeah. He, he tells a he tells a great story about when he was on the Cowboys staff when Bill Parcells was retiring. Yep. He's talking about how you know they all knew Bill was retiring, so they're all trying to find coaching jobs. And so basically, he had already lined up a job with the Chargers. Mm-hmm. But Bill was trying to get all of the assistance coaches, you know, jobs. And he came to Anthony Lynn. He's like, hey, uh, I want you to go work for my buddy Romeo Cornell in Cleveland. Oh. And uh, and so and he's like, he's like, he had kind of already told San Diego he was coming. Yeah. And he, but only ultimately ended up in Cleveland. Um, you know, cause he's like, what coach Parcells wants you to do, you, you do what coach Parcells wants you to do it. And he, he tells his story is he's cooking. He's, he's grilling. I think I want to say maybe he's grilling chicken wings or something. And his wife's right next to him who he met in Cleveland. Ah. And so he's talking about how he's on the plane to go to Cleveland and he sees this magazine where he, it says, uh, the worst city to be a single male in the United States. Cleveland. <laughs> Ultimately, it worked out in his yeah. favor. Crazy. I need to definitely check that out. I actually forgot about it because my brain's not even in football mode, and it hasn't been just because of the delay in NBA, um, baseball, fighting, the way that the quarantine has affected normal life and normal living. I don't even know what day it is, what month it is, what sports coming. Um, I really hope there's a football season, but while they have the hard knocks, I definitely need to to dive into that and watch it. I remember I was watching because like the first part was about the COVID test, and I see them yeah. doing the COVID test, and I go, "Okay, that's not that bad." Because I know, I, you know, working for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network, I'm like, I'm just waiting for the phone call. Of what point, you know, once we get, I guess probably, I'm, I would imagine, you know, two weeks before the first game, they're gonna give me a call, and say, "Hey, you gotta take come take a series COVID test." Like, I didn't want the COVID test that goes all the way up to your brain through the nose. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Not 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 too much. They don't they don't really do that too much. Do so they I, do like I've talked the to little one. Yeah, I've talked. To, well, it was like ten seconds in each nostril, but you could tell they weren't going all the way up. I'm like, okay, all right, that doesn't look too bad. Uh-huh. And uh, but I don't like I've talked to other people who've um who've had it done like it. You know, like the, you know, every city's got like the drive through place you can go up to. I was talking to a buddy who did it, and he said he goes, I was so nervous, so nervous. And he goes, because my wife was exposed, so we all need to go get tested. And he goes, I thought they were going to do the whole thing up your nose. And, you know, and he goes, it was like just barely, you know, just in. He goes, so it wasn't bad. It was, and he goes, I asked the tester, like, hey, aren't you supposed to go all the way up? They go, oh, it's based on whatever test we have that day. Oof. Oh, boy. Yeah, hopefully they don't have a shortage and you got to go up to your brain. That was Bro, if you, if you have not seen the video of Cheeto Vera having to take the COVID test in Jacksonville, 
yeah. is tremendous. Yeah, tremendous. I gotta watch it then. He was yeah. struggling. Like he had bent the thing. The like the the swap was bent because of having so much hard time of going up there. But now yeah. like um with the fighters, they've been doing the mouth tests because of so many guys having broken noses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a deviated septum, so uh you know, it's definitely tough after so much sparring to try to go up there, I can imagine. So the throat test, I don't know. I think that would be worse because gagging, oh I goodness. I oh I I have I would much rather do the nose than brain. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I'm not trying to have anything. No gag ref- No, forget that. You I hate I hate going to the dentist, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you know I hate going to this. Every time I know I got a disappointment coming up, I'm like, oh man, okay. Yeah, but you got to but you got to do it. You know, you got to do of course. it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to take care of your teeth, man. Of course, man. You know, you know this as a fighter. You really got to take care of your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. I, speaking of which, I need to invest in another mouth mouth guard because I keep throwing them. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Gotta, that, that, that brings, let's end on this. That brings up an interesting point. You know, they always mm-hmm. talk. I mean, you can't do the whole, you know, you know, Walmart target mouthpiece. You got to go to a, a, you know, a dentist and, and get one personally fitted. How much does that cost? I know plenty. I know plenty of guys that some of the best fighters in the world, like I'm talking about guys fighting in, you know, championship fights that fighting cups that you get from Walmart or mouthpieces that you get from Walmart. And ultimately that is so dangerous because you're not protecting yourself like you should. You should be wearing the steel cups and you should be going to the dentist or, you know, going through a company um, that specializes in that. And, you know, if you get it from your dentist, it ranges from like one to $200. And yeah, if you're, if you're getting one from one of these companies, it's usually like 150 to $300. So, um, but of course you can get it all customized and everything. And honestly, I've had the ones from the dentist and I've thrown that in the, into the crowd, but, uh, um, yeah, so funny, funny story. I, I, I threw mine into the crowd, right? Well, I didn't throw it into the crowd. I threw it into a, into an open area because, you know, when you win a fight, Jason, your emotions are running high. You just, I need this thing out of my mouth. So you chuck it up there with excitement, right? I'm stepping out of the cage after, you know, they, they, they declared me the victor and all that. And I'm walking out and this kid comes running up to me and goes, Pete, Pete, can you sign it? And I look down and it's, and it's my mouthpiece. And I'm like, do I ask him for it back because it's expensive or do I sign it? So I signed it and I was like, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, my dad at the end, he's like, why didn't you get your mouthpiece back? You idiot. <laughs> Here's what I don't understand. Uh, why would someone want to catch it? Bro, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not throwing it out. I'm getting that thing. I don't know. It's a celebration. No, 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 no. Let's say me and you are yeah. at a fight together. Yeah. Guy in the cage wins. He pulls out his mouthpiece. He throws it. It's heading straight towards us. What do you do? I'm I I am slipping. I'm ducking. I'm I'm fading back. I'm not getting hit with that. I'm not reaching out for it. But you know, a souvenir is a souvenir. So. Whoa, you know, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. For no. some MMA fans, you know, you got to think of it. I'm sure there's some crazy things on there. For me, it's like rip it out, try to crow hop and hit the TV screen just in excitement. That's all I care about. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I, we'll, we'll see if I do it in the future when I invest in a really expensive one. I hope I don't. No. <laughs> it's like doing uh, a shoe out of someone else's shoe. Why would you do that? Plenty of people do, Jason. Bro. Plenty of people do. 
Not me. Wait, wait, hey, would you rather do a shoey out of somebody's somebody else's shoe or catch somebody's mouthpiece? God. You got to pick one. I got to Come on, one. just a mouthpiece. Whew. But you are reward, you are rewarded with beer when you do a shoey. So, depends on how much you like your beer. Are you, <laughs> you know, I can afford to buy a beer. Yeah. God, I think I, he is. I'd probably go the mouthpiece route. Yeah, right? Because you know what? Worst case scenario, you see it coming, I just grab your shirt. (laughs) Or I'm not saying you got to catch it like right out the air. Let it hit the ground and then pick it up. Take take it to the body. (laughs) Yeah, right. Take it to body. Let it fall. (laughs) Catch it in the chest. See, See, if that kid was smart. If his parents would have known that was a, a expensive mouthpiece, they would have tried to sell it back to you. Yeah, imagine that. And I'd have to buy my own mouthpiece. I never looked online to see if they ever put it up online. That would have been funny. Can you imagine if my mouthpiece is out there? I doubt it, but that would be cool. If I'm that kid, like... So how, long, how long ago was that? That's when I knocked the kid out in 11 seconds. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's been a while. Yeah, that's like five years ago, four years ago. Uh, yeah, I would say like five, yeah. Because I think we've known each other for about four years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I just looked up my mouth. Yeah, it, there's nothing. Pete Rogers' mouthpiece. I don't know. I'm going to get hit up one day like 20 years from now talking about, hey, dude, I got your mouthpiece. But yeah, uh, I was 10 years old at the time. Yeah, it was so cool, though. Like, I'm like Okay, Man. all right, all right. Let's say that the kid was at the fights with his dad. Yeah. What is mom's reaction when she sees oh, she's her? Grossed out. She's got to be grossed out. She's got to be grossed out. I can't believe you did that. And the dad's like, I don't know. Maybe the kid will become famous. Uh, maybe they're keeping tabs on my career, Jason, and hoping that maybe I'll one day get into the UFC. I got to turn my career around and start getting some wins. Yeah. We're, we're all looking forward to win. You know, I, I just got to figure out, I was like, hey, where, where am I getting on a flight to go see Pete fight next? Oh, I don't know if you'd have to do that during the co- during the quarantine. I think that would be uh, a lot of dedication there, Mr. Floyd. Uh, you know, you being at my Bellator fights has been awesome. But uh, COVID era, I think, is a different story. Yeah. My dad does have a plane. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Yeah, he's got a twin-engine plane. Really? I didn't know that. So, um, yeah. Depends on where you're fighting at, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You know, if it's somewhere here it, on the East Coast, I'm gonna say, "Hey, Dad, you know, you wanna, you wanna take a little trip?" Really? You, you guys? Wow, that's crazy. I don't like, I don't like small planes. I, I've never been in. I them. don't, I don't. They can get bumpy. Yeah. Um. But if it's if it's smooth, you know, weather, it's not bad. I don't like two things. And I've never done either one of them, so I don't really know if I can say I don't like them. I don't like helicopters, and I don't like small planes. Um, never been in a helicopter. I feel I feel like I wouldn't enjoy that. Um, yeah, but I'm definitely I'm Ryan. definitely more I'm more of a get in a plane type guy. Mm-hmm. But in this in this world. I even though I don't like driving long distances, it'd probably be the safest way to go. Yeah, I'm. I am a let's drive, let's take a road trip type of guy. I've driven to Florida, probably than most people that drive 
I mean, that live in Florida, I've probably driven to Florida and back here probably close to 20 times. Um, yeah, I love it. I can't do that. I couldn't do it's that. It's a long, it's a long drive, man. You're talking about 18 to 22 hours, but I love it. And, uh, I would much rather drive to a destination and fly. I don't know. I get some like crazy anxiety with flying. I can just fall asleep on a plane so easily. Yeah, so that's how I solve my anxiety is I ha- I make sure I, I just pass out. Because literally, I can sleep from the moment the, the plane <laughs> hits the air till till we land. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, that wasn't too bad. But if I'm awake, Jason, I really don't enjoy it. It was funny because, uh, you know, my AirPods are – they're not holding a charge like they really should. So like a couple months ago, I was like, oh, man, I should get the AirPods Pro. I'm probably going to invest them at some point. And I was talking to my buddy who, who I work with on the Bucks broadcast with. And I was like, oh, we have their noise canceling. He goes, he goes, what do you need noise canceling? He goes, I've seen you on a plane. You can fall asleep in an instant. <laughs> I go, yeah, eh, that's true. You, yeah, you ever forget you have to travel everywhere. So you're, you're accustomed to flying. Um, I remember there was one time I was 21. And I flew out to Cowboy Cerrone's ranch and I didn't know anybody out there. I saw online that I ran across some YouTube videos of some guys going out there and training and he built some dorms for people to go train and live with them. And now if you look at the ranch and what it's become, it's crazy. But I was at the ranch when it was ghetto and and Cowboy and I joked about it and I pulled up old photos of it. So long story short, I went out there for over a month to stay and I got to know him and trained. But when I was getting there and coming back, I'm by myself. I'm a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid, and I hit the worst turbulence in the world. And I remember getting off the plane, kneeling down, and actually kissing the ground. Like, I was so terrified, Jason, so I think I have a little PTSD, you know, when it comes to flying. I remember one time flying out to Seattle. We hit turbulence. Yeah. It did the whole Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about waking up? <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sitting there and I'm like, I didn't get to talk to my parents one last time. Like you're starting to think all this crazy things like, yeah, I shouldn't be out here. I'm a 21 year old kid just doing my own thing and trying to train and look what it's got me. And uh, thankfully nothing happened. But um, man, turbulence is scary. So I got to give props I, to I, all those all those flight attendants and pilots. I forget the mileage because we, we had a crazy road schedule last year. Yeah. Where we were, I don't know, man, we played like a home game, like beginning, like in September. And then we didn't play in our home games, like November. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, like, we went to Seattle, London, LA. And I got, I think it was like 28,000 miles. We flew in that stretch. Wow. wow. Yeah. You, you have to think, right? Like, I feel like NFL is not too bad because you don't have a crazy, crazy long season. Um, and not too many different areas. Like obviously you have, what is it? 15, 16 games, something like that. Um, 16 games, yeah. yeah 20, um, 20 games. If we, if we have a, if, if you make in pre, well in a preseason mode, yeah, uh, you have four true, preseason true. games, 16 games. Um, but, but yeah. can you imagine like baseball, 162 games going to play three or five games, whatever, how many game series and then going from here to there or basketball even, I, I feel I, like. I think for baseball it would be weird. It's like you have like those ten day road trips, you know? Yeah, where you're just living out a suitcase. Like That's I sit there and go, like when I go for a road game, I'm literally packing two days. I couldn't imagine of how you pack for a ten game road trip. And that's why sometimes you see guys with like a 
a travel hangover or whatever, because man, it's gotta be daunting on your body and everything of, of maybe you don't sleep well during those conditions or you've been living out of a suitcase or, or, you know, I will, I will tell you the one thing I've learned in all my years of doing NFL broadcasting, yeah. how much I envy people on the West coast on a Saturday that they wake up at nine o'clock in the morning and football is already on. Yeah, that's true. I always thought about that. Um, of how like you just wake up and it's or you know what I mean like you got a whole day it's just boom yeah yeah I will say this I'll probably my two favorite road cities to go to uh, Seattle and San Fran I've heard great things about both of them I definitely Seattle's want to see great I, I remember uh, we were there last year and I uh, we were out um, we got there on Friday yeah and we were we were out just walking around on, on Saturday and I sent my wife a picture of. It was like this, you know, big oak tree, blue, you know, colors changing. I just text her, go, don't see this in Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's you're very fortunate that you get to, you know, travel and see the the whole, you know, every state that games are in and uh, see the world, man. It's it's pretty crazy, and you know, get, stepping outside your bubble. I, right. I definitely am looking forward to being able to travel again once things, uh, you know, improve. One of my biggest memories on the road was playing in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And it was the first day of hunting season. And to see half the crowd in camo. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Green Bay Lambeau Field was a bucket list item for me when I started doing this. That was a bucket list. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, that's a pretty iconic stadium. Yeah. I've been to outside of obviously the new LA stadium. I've gone to everyone. That's cool, you know. Ca- old nice. cowboy, old cowboy stadium. The elevator, uh, see, o- the elevator only went to a certain point. And it didn't get you to the broadcast booth, so we had to carry <laughs> gear up flights of stairs. Oh man! Oh, literally, man. I, see, I, when we played there, I would literally, as I walk in, I'd just be cussing. Oh, <laughs> see, like I, I'm excited to. Uh, to visit more baseball fields. So baseball fields. And I had a buddy of mine who passed away, but, uh, my buddy, Travis, his dream, um, he was actually, uh, a make a wish foundation. Like he, okay. his, his wish was granted and he was able to, uh, visit almost all the baseball stadiums out there. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah. It was a pretty cool thing. So he's been everywhere. And that, when I saw him do that, I was like, man, I gotta go see some more baseball games and go visit some more stadiums. Like, to to think back of of uh, you know being at the old Yankee Stadium, like man, it was such a relic. It was so it was so cool. I remember we went to, we were playing the Cardinals like two or three years ago in Arizona, so we went to Chase Field. You're right, yeah, because it's a West Coast game, so you get out there a, a, a day earlier than you would. And I remember we're we're just hanging in the outfield having some beers. Roof's closed. We go go get another beer. I know you're shocked. Me getting another beer, I know. <laughs> and we come back. The roof is magically open. The sides are open up. I'm like, what? When the hell did this happen? Uh, and they cool. just and they just they open the roof up in the middle of a game. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Oh, if I was a visiting team, oh, I may not like that. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's that's uh, that's the home team advantage right there. You know, a little in the, well, it, well, the NFL. If you have a retractable roof. It either 90 minutes before the game, the decision's made. So yep. if the roof's going to be open, it's got to be open at that moment. And obviously part of it's obviously a lot of it's based on weather 
or it's it's either open or closed. There is no once that decision made, there is no changing it. Yeah, that makes sense because you're you're picking which side you're trying to face and all of that. Uh, you know, you have the wind, you have sunlight affecting you know vision for kickoffs and whatnot. And uh, you know that, that's cool. I, I think that having the option for domes is always a smart decision of uh, you know weather wise. You don't have to worry too much, but in, in a sport like football where bad weather is is uh, actually it's fun. It's fun to see snow games and downpour raining. I, I think. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> it's fun until electricity gets involved and then the game's postponed. Yeah. 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 Like so, we had a preseason yeah. where I think we had three weather delays. Yeah. See that that's annoying. The lightning's annoying. Um, as far as sports, like you think of how many NASCAR races are, are delayed because of lightning. Um, and football lightning is annoying as well. Uh, but yeah, if, I, if it, I, I specifically believe, remember a Jags game of it being just a downpour. <laughs> and I'm like that was so cool. I loved it. I believe I believe the rule is if there is a lightning strike within five uh, yep. mile radius of the stadium, that it, game goes postponed and it's a minimum thirty minute delay. And basically, one if there's a lightning strike within that 30 minutes, the clock starts back over. Yep, makes sense. I mean, I think we had a preseason game that I think had like an hour and a half rain delay. I remember, God, this was we were playing the Rams here. This was two or three years ago. It was mm-hmm. a fourth quarter, like five minutes ago, and we had a, a lightning delay. And we were and we were marching back in the game. And I, I truly believe if if that lightning delay doesn't happen, we win. Yeah, it makes sense. It, weather delays and, uh, you know, it affects momentum. Momentum's huge in sports. And okay. perhaps we could, we could say the same thing for fouls, like eye pokes. Um, you know, maybe maybe all of, you know, certain things will alter effects or alter the, uh, the outcomes of games or fights. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a wrinkle in the sport for us. For, for MMA, it's fouls. Of course, uh, coming up this week, Pete and I will be back on Thursday or at awesomeo.com for the MMA DFS strategy show. Then, of course, we'll be back on Saturday, live before lock. That's always a fun time to be in the chat of what people may yeah. say. The Russian bots were alive and well in the chat before we yeah, started on Saturday. That's yeah, how I was like, okay, we got a big fight card. The Russian bots are yeah. here. Yeah, that's true. And you always see me in the chat giving people you know, a taste of their own medicine if, they, if they're uh, – if they're frequent visitors of the chat you know what i'm saying yeah. we got a yeah and of course uh be sure to like this channel right here on youtube also uh you can get this show in audio form apple Podcasts, spotify to get the audio version of the show also available at radioinfluence.com so let's go wrap it up for episode three of the fight hq podcast that's pete rogers jr and i am jason floyd